Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Really happy to have you with me today. Uh, We will go easy on you so you can get on the phone with me uh, if you want to call in and waiting very patiently to talk to me about, well, the issue of the week that will not go away. (laughs) Gordon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for your patience. Yes, I just had a uh, an idea that I thought would hopefully end the debate forever. I hear people all the time debating whether it's a, a lump of cells or if it's an actual living baby. Uh, I've seen, they've used an endoscope, and I've seen the inside of Katie Couric's colon. So why can't they just use an endoscope and show us a third trimester abortion and prove to us once and for all whether it's just a lump of cells or it's a baby. Well, first of all, I'd like to apologize to everyone for thro- everyone throwing up in their mouth at the thought of seeing Katie Kirk's colon. <laughs> but yes, you know, notice it, 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 this reminds me, I'm, I'm glad you said this because it reminds me of the last several weeks of stories in the New York Times and the Washington Post attacking conservatives for exposing what liberals are doing online. And they never, ever, ever actually show the videos that conservatives are are exposing they'll describe them generally but if you see them you too would be appalled you you see an abortion uh you would be appalled particularly a late-term abortion and the democrats want it um tim ryan the supposedly moderate democrat in ohio has now come out for abortion on demand until the moment of birth and is okay with sex-selective abortion. So if you want to find out you're having a girl so you can abort the child, uh, he's okay with that as well. That's the extremist position. Very few Americans, only about 15% of Americans support that position. And yet the Democrats are so dependent on donors who support that position, they have to, they've got to go there. You show one of these on TV, suddenly people are going to be horrified. Well, and they're not going to show that on TV either because it'd be like NC-17, but nonetheless, um, that it's, I mean, it's a point made. They won't show you what's going on. By the way, before I move on to other stuff, I I, I got to tell tell you this is what, you know how sometimes you just, it, impulse control, I can't wait until a short break to get to a story because I've seen it and it just blows my mind. It is not worth spending an entire segment on, but poof, it's just, wow. Uh, Laura Young was browsing through a Goodwill store in Austin, Texas, in 2018, she found a bust for sale, a marble bust. It was resting on the floor under a table and had a yellow price tag slapped on its cheek. Goodwill was selling it for $34.99. <laughs> you can guess where this is going, can't you? It was not just any marble bust it was late first century bc roman antiquity that had been part of a bavarian king's art collection uh that was looted in world war ii Uh, no one knows how it got to texas uh the most likely path According to the news report, was from an American soldier after the King's Villa was bombed by Allied forces. It's now gone on display at the San Antonio Museum of Art next to a signage acknowledging Mrs. Young's role in the improbable 2,000-year journey. 
from ancient Rome to the Goodwill Boutique of Far West Boulevard, Austin, Texas. <laughs> it's going to go back to the Bavarian government next year uh, after Ms. Young uh, agreed that uh, this should go on display for all of history. She had named it. Uh, Charlie, I hope you're paying attention to this story. The woman had named the bust Dennis Reynolds after a character from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> it was, she said, like a vain and narciss narcissistic dude. The 52-pound marble bust was very difficult, cold, cold, aloof, emotionless man that caused some problems for her. <laughs> when she... When she spotted it at the Goodwill store, she says she knew it, it was probably valuable and she couldn't believe that it was on sale for $34. I got it outside in the light. He had chips to the base. He had clear repairs. He looked very old. I've been to museums. I've seen Roman portrait heads before. She did a Google image search for Roman bust and realized this looks like Dennis. <laughs> After taking the bust home, strapped in a seatbelt in the front seat of her car, she contacted two auction houses, Bottoms and Sotheby's, both of which confirmed her hunch was right. The bust had to be from ancient Rome. She was on vacation celebrating her 40th birthday when she got the email from Bottoms and she returned home immediately. Dennis was at the house alone, she said. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> At some point before 1833, the bust had been acquired by King Ludwig I of Bavaria. He displayed it in the courtyard of the Pompaginum, his replica of a Roman villa in Pompeii in the Bavarian town of Ashkafinsburg, according to the lawyer for Ms. Young. The Pompaginum was heavily damaged by Allied bombing in 1944-1945. Uh, some of the objects survived. Some disappeared. The looting of art by the Nazis has gained widespread attention, but because the bust ended up in Texas, more likely than not, an American service member either stole it or traded it uh, for something else during the war. It meant that Ms. Young was not the rightful owner because Germany had never sold the piece or abandoned title to it. Uh, Goodwill was unable to tell her where it had come from. Immediately, she said, okay, I, I can't keep him and I can't sell him. It was very bittersweet. I had to give Dennis up, she says. So she struck an agreement to have the bus shipped back to Bavaria. In exchange, she'll get a small finder's fee. We're very pleased that a piece of history has returned to us as Bern Schreiber, president of the Bavarian Administration of State-Owned Palaces. The bust is believed to portray Pompey the Great, or Nero Claudius Drusius Germanicus, the Roman commander whose forces once occupied German territory. Pompey the Great was defeated by Julius Caesar. The uh, San Antonio Museum of Art is going to display it until May of 2023, which was important to Ms. Young. He'd been hidden for 70 to 80 years. I think he deserves some attention. Last month, she handed over the bust to the museum, leaving her only a 3D printed model of the piece, which she keeps in her living room. That's just, y'all, I'm sorry. I am absolutely, absolutely fascinated with stuff like this. 
Uh, and I, and again, I don't. There, there's no business professionally for me as a radio show host to spend as much time with the story. But what an amazing! You hear about this stuff all the time. Uh, these random things that occur like this, where someone finds a painting in a Goodwill store. You know, when I was in my law firm, we had a a senior partner at the firm, Mr. Comer, um, and Mr. Comer had been to Harvard. He had fought in World War II. Uh, his his family, his fascinating story, his, his dad died before he was born, but his dad started a bank. Uh, and that bank ultimately was bought by another bank, bought by another bank, and became part of uh, Bank of America. And Mr. Comer was a, a massive shareholder of Bank of America just by, by right of birth, so to speak, lived in a giant house in middle Georgia, and he was an antique spotter. And one time he went to a, a garage sale, he and his wife, Mary, and they found a, um, it was like a desk. It was a wall desk, one of those that sits uh, very vertical uh, up against the wall. He found it and he recognized immediately it was worth far more than the hundred dollars that uh, the family was selling it for. The thing was like ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 appraised. Um, it had been sitting in someone's house and they sold it for a hundred bucks. He got a really good deal on it. But this is, I mean, a 2000 year old marble bust, 2000 year old marble bust sitting on the floor of the Goodwill store in Austin, Texas for years and sold for 34 bucks. And it's a priceless piece of antiquity. That's just, my gosh, you got to marvel at stuff like this. You really have to marvel at stuff like that. Okay, I got to move on, um, but wow, it's fascinating. I, I'm going to give, give uh, spend a, a short time here on a subject that I don't think in times of war, well, really, we, we don't appreciate this enough. Um, Mike Esper, Donald Trump's Secretary of State, has a memoir coming out uh, and says it was a one of the moments that left the former Secretary, Defense Secretary absolutely speechless. The President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, proposed launching missiles into Mexico to destroy drug labs. President Donald Trump in 2020 asked Mark Esper, his Defense Secretary, about the possibility of launching missiles into Mexico to destroy the drug labs and wipe out the cartels, maintaining the United States' involvement in a strike against its southern neighbor could be kept secret. Those remarks, discussion, remarkable discussions were among several moments Mr. Esper described in his book, A Sacred Oath, as leaving him all but speechless when he served the 45th president. Mr. Esper, the last Senate-confirmed defense secretary under Mr. Trump, also had concerns about speculation the president might misuse the military around Election Day by, for instance, having soldiers seize ballot boxes. He warned subordinates to be on alert for unusual calls from the White House. This is one of his fire missiles at the drug lords, drug cartels, and drug labs of Mexico. It's a good idea. Mexico, we don't like to talk about it. The media certainly won't talk about it, because, and they'll scream racism at me for even saying it. The reality is Mexico is a failed state. Mexico is a failed or failing state. The drug cartels overwhelmingly control the country. They are ruthlessly assassinating the law-abiding police and military. They are buying off the rest of them. Mexico is a state being run by drug cartels that are pumping their drugs across the border into the United States and sending the victims of human trafficking to serve as sex slaves in this country under the radar. 
I have no problem at all going to war with them. They have killed our Border Patrol agents. They have flown helicopters into this country and attacked civilians in this country. And notice how the media never talks about that. There was a story from just a few years ago where a Mexican gunship flew across the border into this country to blow up a rival cartel member. It happened. We have seen terrorists come across this border helped by the uh, coyotes of the Mexican drug cartel. We have seen the drugs come across this border. I had on Ted Budd yesterday from New- from North Carolina. Uh, I've had on uh, Mike Dolan from Ohio. I've had on Tom Cotton from Arkansas. I've had on Tim Scott from South Carolina. I've had on Marco Rubio from Florida. I've had on repeatedly congressmen and senators from around the country, and all of them say their big issue is fentanyl coming across the Mexican border. Why don't we blow them up? I don't think it was a bad idea. The same people who are freaked out about this are the same damn people who thought we would go to World War III by moving the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. They are the same ones who thought we would start World War III by blowing up Kasim Soleimani. They're the same ones who thought we'd start World War III by leaving the Paris Accord. They're the same ones who thought we'd start World War III by the Abraham Accords and getting peace in the Middle East. All of these conventional ideas, all of the conventional theorists of foreign policy were discredited during the Trump administration and they still attack the man who, thinking outside the box, was able to bring peace in the Middle East, something no other American president had ever been able to do going back to Jimmy Carter. Literally, Israel and its Arab neighbors are now friends. Uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Bahrain, Jordan, Egypt, they participated in Israel's uh, national what, what, anniversary of, of its creation. They have embassies now with each other. No other American president was able to get that done. Trump deserves a Nobel Prize just for that. This wasn't a bad idea. You may not want to believe it, but Mexico is collapsing. Its government is corrupt. It is collapsing. It's in the pocket of the drug cartels. They are killing us. I have no problem with Donald Trump wanting to blow them up. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. All right, here it is. Uh, This is from the New York Times. By the way, because I've been getting these emails so much, so often from so many people, I'm going to answer the question in the next hour. If you think the media is so biased, why do you read from the New York Times and other news outlets? I'm actually going to talk about that topic. Because some of you are just stupid people. I'm sorry. Y'all know I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about those people. You know who those people are. And they can't understand why am I not just telling them precisely what they want to hear, reading from the same hymn book, singing from the same hymn book, word for word, the hymns they want and no others. We're going to talk about this in the next hour. All just because um, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, so, okay. 
From the New York Times, the United States has provided intelligence about Russian units that has allowed Ukrainians to target and kill many of the Russian generals who have died in action in the Ukraine war, according to senior American officials. Ukrainian officials said they have killed approximately 12 generals on the front lines, a number that has astonished military analysts. The targeting help is part of a classified effort by the Biden administration to provide real-time battlefield intelligence to Ukraine. The intelligence also includes anticipated Russian troop movements gleaned from recent American assessments of Moscow's secret battle plan for the fighting in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine, the official said. Officials declined to specify how many generals had been killed as a result of U.S. assistance. The United States has focused on providing the location and other details about the Russian military's mobile headquarters, which relocate frequently. Ukrainian officials have combined that geographic information with their own intelligence, including intercepted communications that alert the Ukraine Ukrainian military to the presence of senior Russian officials to conduct artillery strikes and other attacks that have killed Russian officers. The intelligence sharing is part of a stepped up flow in U.S. assistance that includes heavier weapons and tens of billions in aid, demonstrating how quickly the early American restraints on support for Ukraine have shifted. Um, I don't think this is helpful. I don't think, and and it is officials, it is officials who are doing the leaking. And I, I, this is not helpful. Now, part of this, just so you're aware, is a, an idea from the Biden administration, if you will, that, um, that, you've got to, uh, tell the Russians we know where the Russians are, and in order to tell the Russians where we are, um, we can we can undermine them and cast confusion on them. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, uh, I am. I'm not surprised by what the New York Times is doing. I, well, no, I'm not even really, the more I think about it, I'm not that surprised by how brazen it is. But there have been a series of stories in the last week, exposés, if you will, of Tucker Carlson and then Elon Musk. The Tucker Carlson one wants to paint him as some sort of uh, nationalistic, racist, white supremacist. It is designed to vilify Tucker Carlson. But it's actually at a deeper level designed for something else. It's designed to vilify the viewers of Tucker Carlson's show. In the grand scheme of things in the United States, there actually aren't a ton of people who watch Tucker. They just happen to watch him more than the others. There are a few million people, maybe four million advertisers actually care about the demo. The demo is is just slightly more than a million people typically watching Tucker. So uh, essentially, advertisers don't care about the really young and the really old. 
They don't care about, for example, six and up or 12 and up who, who listen to radio or who watch television. What they care about very specifically are 25 to 54-year-olds. The moment you turn 55, advertisers in America do not care about you anymore. 25 to 54 is the relevant one, and the 25 to 54, uh, on average, sometimes it's a little higher, sometimes it's a little lower, but it's about 1.1 million people. Uh, total audience, like 12 and up, uh, what they typically measure, I think sometimes it's around 4 million, usually it's around 2 to 3 million people, which sounds to be a lot. But about three to four times as many will watch World News Tonight from ABC News for 30 minutes. Cable news doesn't get the most subscribe, most eyeballs. Now, we talk about uh, Tucker Crossing gets more eyeballs than any other show on cable. Yes, on cable. Uh, broadcast isn't cable. ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. Uh, but as terms of influential people and influencers and people to be influenced, Tucker Carlson gets a lot of views. Tucker Carlson gets a lot of hate watchers. Tucker Carlson gets a lot of eyeballs for that. You know, what's so interesting actually as an aside is that uh, major syndicated noon to three talk radio shows get more of an audience. I mean, talk radio actually is very influential and it doesn't get the attention because the people who cover the news don't listen to talk radio. Rush Limbaugh, for example, had, I mean, 15 to 20 million people. What's so funny to me is that people say, you don't really believe that Rush Limbaugh number, do you? Well, given how ratings are generated, he actually probably had more of an audience than that. Uh, but you base the audience based on the the little people meters that people wear. Uh, to there's a, In every radio station in America that's a metered station, not all of them are, smaller ones aren't, but in the big stations, there is a, um, there's a subsonic sound. You can't hear the sound, but these little devices can, and they measure ratings. They do it on TV as well. It's statistically sampled, kind of like what pollsters do. It's not highly accurate, but it's good enough. The advertisers like it. And what the New York Times is doing is they're vilifying those people by proxy. They're attacking Tucker Carlson in order to attack Tucker's audience. They're essentially trying to claim that Tucker Carlson's audience are hicks and rubes, that they're racists, that they're the villains. They're doing this because of the run-up to the 2022 election. What they're also trying to do is to combat the Fox News fallacy. I mentioned this yesterday in terms of the Fox News polling. Roy Texera is a Democratic pollster. He wrote a book years ago on essentially uh, demography is destiny and the Democratic Party is the party of the future. And he made a couple of warnings there that they would have to hold on to the white working class, that they couldn't just be a party of the college educated or it would collapse. And all his warnings have come true. They, in fact, did not hold on to the white working class. They did become a party of the white educated elite. And as a result, they're turning off even uh, black and non-black, non-white voters. It's working out badly for them. So the Democrats are now headed into November and they've got to try to get the working class black and Hispanic and Asian voters back. And their strategy is to vilify the GOP, tie them to Donald Trump, but more particularly tie them to Tucker Carlson.
Why? The easy answer is Tucker Carlson is here and Donald Trump is not. Tucker Carlson is on television five nights a week. Donald Trump is not. Tucker Carlson is on social media. Donald Trump outside of, uh, what is it, Truth whatever, his site, True Social. Donald Trump's not on social media. Tucker Carlson is the new bad. He's the new bad guy. He's he's the new boss level for the Democrats they've got to get through. And anyone who watches him, they, they tie people to him because he's got to be vilified. But now it's not just Tucker Carlson. The, after a week of, of disparaging Tucker Carlson with their ridiculous... And by the way, they're very earnest about it. They're very upset that the rest of us are laughing at them. I, I saw the reporter on social media. He was incensed that people were mocking his reporting. He's, this is serious, guys. This is serious. He's bad. He's bad. I have grown up. I was born in 1975. My entire life, everyone the Democrats have hated, they've called a racist. Everyone, even black people, the Democrats don't like are racist. Herschel Walker is running for the United States Senate in Georgia. I was not aware of this, but Herschel Walker is a racist, according to the Democrats. Clarence Thomas is a racist. Clarence Thomas has so soaked in white supremacy with a Catholic upbringing that he is nothing but a white supremacist in, in black man's clothing, according to progressives. Uh, by the way, I'm not making that up. That's what they say. He he grew up in a, a Catholic environment, and therefore his Catholic white supremacy is rubbing off on people. It's absurd, but that's where they are. Now they're doing it to Elon Musk. There is a massive story in the New York Times about Elon Musk, an African-American and they're attacking the African-American. And one of the curious things they're attacking this African-American immigrant about is that he never said anything to denounce apartheid, but he never said anything to condone it either. His classmates who grew up with him in South Africa, that they have no recollection of him saying anything that could be racially insensitive. He never showed up in blackface in a costume. But they just know he's a racist. They know he's a racist because he grew up in South Africa and he was white. What I find actually really interesting in the report, and I forget who pointed out, it's not a thought original to me, and I apologize. It might have been Glenn Greenwald, someone else. Um, but one of the things that the New York Times talks about in the story that Elon Musk grew up in South Africa, a South Africa uh, covered with disinformation and misinformation. And that's their concern here is that Elon Musk is going to perpetuate this disinformation and misinformation at Twitter when he completes the sale because he grew up with it. Ironically, what they call disinformation, let, let, me, let me see if... You think this is disinformation. Redactions in the newspaper. A newspaper that blacks out things the government doesn't want said. Newscasts at night that leave out information about riots in black communities. Newscasts that cover the names of dead white South Africans and leaves out that they were actually killed by black South Africans who were protecting themselves, not on the war path, not on the hunt. That's not 
disinformation or misinformation. That's censorship. That's government censorship. In fact, authoritarian regimes, if the South African regime was an authoritarian regime, it censored the news. It didn't put out misinformation. It left out details. It didn't make up new information. It just left it out. It engaged in censorship, and the media went along with the censorship, just like the New York Times does for the Democrats. And yet the New York Times claims that Elon Musk was so soaked in disinformation and misinformation as a child that there's no way he appreciates the dangers to it now because he did not live in that that racist South African world where he saw the hardships of black South Africans. That's the best they've got. Now, why are they doing this one? Well, It is becoming more and more obvious that the blue checks on Twitter who are upset with Elon Musk buying Twitter, they treat Twitter as their own. They're like the squatters when the property owner shows up to throw them out. They want to burn the house down instead of giving up control of it. I have a suspicion. I have a theory. What if these blue checks who are so angry that Elon Musk might be buying Twitter. What if they've been collaborating with the Twitter employees? What if it's these blue checks on Twitter from the left, these reporters who were directing the Twitter employees of who to target, who to silence, who to censor? What if, what if the blue checks We're in on it the whole time. They act like they're reacting as if they own Twitter and that Elon Musk is taking away their control. Elon Musk has promised to shine the spotlight. Elon Musk has promised to to shed light on what's gone on behind the scenes with bans and shadow bans and censorship. Elon Musk has said these are the things he's going to do. He hasn't said that he's going to allow a complete free-for-all on on Twitter. He's a free speech absolutist, he says, but he also understands there are levels of moderation. He can't turn Twitter into an even worse hell site than it already is. So a lot of it's probably not going to change. Uh, Internet moderation is a thing. Elon Musk has worked in the past uh, to deal with, with moderation of issues. And one of the things he suggested is the verification of real identities of people on Twitter. What if they're upset because they're going to get exposed? It was a very curious story in the New York Times to spend that much energy attacking Elon Musk, a man who, by the way, the left should love for his fight against climate change, his solar panel company, his battery-powered car company. They They should love that he's focused on them. They should love that he is a guy who has their backs. But instead, they're attacking him because he suggested more transparency at the site they all like. Who cares about the climate? He's going to buy Twitter. It's a fascinating situation that the New York Times for a week now has spent a disproportionate, inordinate amounts of energy to attack two different men as racists because one gets more attention than they do and the other is going to take over the site their reporters love. 
it's like they're starting to have a meltdown that reality beckons, that the bubble is bursting, and they realize, actually, you know what? Most Americans don't agree with us. Most Americans agree with them, and they're reacting badly to it. I think we're watching the stages of grief play out in real time. It's it's a fascinating dynamic to watch when the major media institution of America, the New York Times, spends this much energy vilifying two different people, largely because the New York Times can't control them. Now, you can't control what's going on in the stock market right now. You you can't control what's happening with your 401k. But you know who might be able to help you get a little more control over situations like this? Gold Cove. We're seeing 40-year high inflation, interest rate hikes, increased gas prices. If you got more than $50,000 in your IRA with your 401k or you got other uh, retirement investments – you could kind of be at risk with all this market turmoil. And you don't have a lot of options, but one way you can kind of bring some stability, more likely than not, is with gold and silver. And and talk to Gold Coast, see if they can help you. You can call them, 855-904-5933. They'll send you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings, and many of them are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Gold Co., Find out how you might qualify for this special offer. Goldco has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation, stock market crashes. They might be able to help you. See if they're a good fit for you. Uh, instead of giving you the number again, let me do this for you. Text the word Eric, my name, E-R-I-C-K. Text it to 33777. I'll text you back Gold Coast phone number. So when you're in, in a position that you can call them, give them a call. Tell them I sent you. See if Goldco could be a good fit for you. Hello there and welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the show with me. Uh, And happy Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. Um, I got to tell you, my wife came home from getting her hair cut yesterday and her hair was purple by choice. Actually, I got to admit, looks really good. It's not completely purple. I... (laughs) So when we got y'all two secret, for those of you who are younger than me, who haven't gotten married yet, or you're just gotten married two two secret men in particular, here are two secrets to a happy marriage. One, get a king size bed. Two, never, ever dare to have input on your wife's hair choices. Although I have to say when we were, when we were first married, we didn't even have, uh, we may have had our first, no, I'm trying to think, no, we hadn't, we, she hadn't gotten pregnant yet. We got married. We had a cat named Sam and Christy went to get a haircut. And all I can describe it is, is like Halle Berry, it, very, very, very short, like a boy's cut short. She came through the front door and even the cat turned around and ran. <laughs> the only moment in our marriage where I ever had to put my foot down and say, no, no, no. But after that, you know, if it, it doesn't matter, men, you will die. If you try to interject with your wife's hair choices, I have learned you, you, you might not make it out of there alive. Uh, my oldest sister one time told her husband that if, if he ever cheated on her, she would get him drunk and then sew him up in the bed sheets and club him to death. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I commented on my wife's hairstyle, she would do the same thing to me. I would die for 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 comment. Just stay away. Get a king size bed and just go along with it. Unless she like shaves her head, then you got problems. 
But I was actually, I was really impressed. She she came home and part of her hair was purple and it actually looks really good. Her her hairstylist is is fantastic. And she's an awesome mom. So her Mother's Day present is she has a Harley. And I uh, was able to pay off uh, the Harley sooner than expected. I was hoping to get the title, the certificate of title in the mail before Mother's Day, but it's not here yet. So, but that was her, that'll be her Mother's Day present. And then I got to do something else as well. Although we're, we're two of those people who our kids, we don't feel like we should. I, I've got friends who will leave their teenage kids home alone all weekend, all weekend. Like they'll take a trip. Then they've got like kids our age or kids are 16 and 13. And they're like, oh, they'll be fine. My parents would, my parents used to leave me home alone for a weekend or a week during the summer when they'd go on church trips and mission trips and stuff. And I mean, I loved it and I was a responsible kid and, and I, you will not be surprised to learn. I cooked a lot and, and I didn't even have friends over because that man, I just love a quiet house to myself, but we're not leaving our kids home alone. Not because we think there'll be hellraisers and have a party, but we're not leaving our kids alone. One day we'll start dating again. My wife and I right now we're being parents. When we come back, we have to move on the news. I get so many questions about the news. What do I read? Why do I read? Why don't I read this, that, and the other? Why don't I talk about this? Why do I talk about this? I want to actually spend a little bit of time with you. Make you a better researcher and more informed yourself and answer some of the questions of, why do you quote the New York Times if you don't like it? There's a method to my madness. I'll share it with you.